0: Hello, and welcome to the Nashville Sounding Board, the new podcast dedicated to discussing social and political issues in the Nashville community. I'm your host, Benjamin Eagles. On part three of my series with mayoral candidates, I'm sitting down with Ralph Bristol. Mr. Bristol is a former host of Nashville's Morning News on Super Talk 99.7, and he's one of the 13 candidates running for mayor of Nashville. Mr. Bristol, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. I always
1: enjoy these interviews, especially the long ones that are not edited
0: too deeply. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, we're kind of going for a longer form uh, discussion. So we know about your 40-year broadcasting career. What is one thing that we don't know about your background? Ooh, one thing you don't know about my background. Well, let me just go through my background, and
1: you ask me about whatever you're curious about. I, I grew up in rural Nebraska. I'm the son of World War II parents. My father lived through to the Depression in his 20s and fought in World War II in his 30s, married my mother shortly after World War II, and they had five children immediately, and we lived in a, on a little 42-acre, I call it, farm, but it wasn't really much of a farm. Outside of Valentine, Nebraska, population 2,600, went to a country school where all of the grades went together with one teacher, and the first school had an outhouse for a restroom. So that's where I come from. And we lived as independently as any American can. We grew or hunted about 80 to 90% of all the food we ate. Dad worked in the post office, but he ran businesses on the side, a small dairy farm. And then we raised and sold Labrador Retrievers all over the country. So I'm steeped in independence. And after graduating from high school, I went into the Air Force where I was an information specialist. So I've been in the information industry all of my adult life. Came back out, got a radio and television degree at SIU Edwardsville, Southern Illinois University, Edwardsville. Immediately after that, became the news director of a small station in Sykeston, Missouri. Then the news director of a a slightly larger station in Hannibal, then moved into television for 10 years, back into radio in Spartanburg, uh, Greenville, Spartanburg, South Carolina, where I became a talk show host for the first time, and then was recruited by Cumulus to come to Nashville, where I was... uh, Morning Drive host of Nashville Morning News for 11 years. All during that time, I focused on and followed local, state, and national policy and politics. More policy than politics. Don't actually like politics very much because it gets in the way of good policy. So I've covered school board meetings and and city council meetings from the start of my career. I know how this Business works. I've watched it for 40 years. I've reported on it. I've analyzed it. I've commented on it and gotten involved in the arguments and the discussions over all of the policy issues on all of those levels for 40 years. And now I believe I'm ready to take it on as mayor and do something that I believe Nashville needs, and that is stop and learn how to solve problems without raising taxes. Nashville is spending too much money on things we don't absolutely have to have. And that don't necessarily work. And I think as a result of that, we've gotten ourselves in a place, in a a financial place, where we can now just barely afford the basic services. And we're getting to the point where we can't even afford to keep up with the basic services. Even as Nashville is growing rapidly, faster than most cities in the United States, we ought to be bringing in a lot more revenue as a result of that. That was way too long, but you didn't stop me, so... Oh, that's great. I'll let that's you very follow up on anything that interests you from that or anything else.
0: So recognizing that Nashville is a nonpartisan election and also that you've been a conservative radio host, I've noticed you've not described yourself as a Republican. How would you identify your political views? I am a
1: nonpartisan, independent, physically responsible, open government person, and I don't call myself a Republican because I'm not a Republican. Now, I will admit I almost became a Republican to run for another office because that's the party that recruited me and that's the party that my opinions probably are closer to than the Republican Party. But I think both parties' brands are in serious trouble right now. And in Nashville, the Republican Party brand is a handicap. And since it is a nonpartisan election, I, I chose to run for this office instead of other offices that also appealed to me for different reasons, for two main reasons. One is because of the transit vote that we were discussing and debating at that time. And no other mayoral candidate at the time that I decided to get into it was taking a very strong position. There might have been one or two, but no other mayoral candidate with strong name recognition was taking a strong position against the transit uh, plan, the very wasteful, expensive transit plan that the voters turned down two to one. And I had an opportunity to run for office for the first time because I had just recently retired from my radio program. So I decided to get in, and then after that, many others did the same, including some, uh, some candidates with name recognition and uh, and other candidates decided to switch positions to get on the on the right side of the issue so i am nonpartisan i do not identify with either party or with the independent or the libertarian party i don't ever want to identify with any party or any interest group and i think the mayor of nashville has to be willing to and capable of taking that position in order to solve the problems that we have with everybody getting every stakeholder really getting a seat at the table and an equal voice in that decision and and the mayor can promise to and has a record of not favoring any position just because that's a position favored by any particular party or interest group we've got to leave all of these labels behind In order to do what we need to do, which is for at least the next five years, solve multiple problems having to do with city services and affordability, and we have to do it without more money. We have to find unique, inexpensive ways to solve these problems without spending more money on it because we don't have more money, and the taxpayers are not going to, nor they should, they give us any more money to
0: spend. If you were to make a runoff against a David Briley or Erica Gilmore or Harold Love, someone who is is known to be a Democrat, if you or Carol Swain makes the runoff, it will become fiercely partisan though, right? It'll it'll basically become Democrat versus Republican. Over over my dead body, so to speak.
1: Fair enough. Because I'm not going to – I'm not going to – run as a Republican I'm not going to be a Republican I'm not going to tie myself to the Republican party I don't have anything against it necessarily it's I'm not and whether it should be or shouldn't be it is a handicap in Nashville to run as the Republican candidate if Republicans vote for me it's going to be because they like my positions better than the other candidate I don't intend to make this a Republican versus Democrat election. I expect the other candidate to, whoever that might be, but I'm not going to, and I will resist it, and it'll be my job to convince the voters. My main job is to convince the voters that I'm not going to run a partisan government. I am going to run a nonpartisan independent government. That is going to happen, and I'll have five weeks to convince the voters of that after the runoff is triggered by election on May 24th. And I believe by the end of that five weeks, they'll be convinced and they'll elect me because the current acting mayor has just made too many mistakes, too many. and, And he keeps doing the wrong thing. Even after
0: a very loud message to quit doing it, he keeps doing the wrong thing. So going into your top two issues as fiscal responsibility and open government What is it about this particular moment in our city that makes those two issues most important? We're out of money. People know what debt problems are. Every
1: individual household, unless you're lucky, knows what it's like to have a problem with debt. I'm no stranger to that. Throughout most of my working life, I spent just as much money as I earned and more. And frankly, much of it was unnecessary, frivolous spending. And so therefore, When I had an emergency, I had to borrow more more money. So I got into debt, not seriously enough that I had to declare bankruptcy, but seriously enough that I had to stop and just stop spending on anything that wasn't necessary and pay off my debt and build up some savings. And once I started doing that, I realized that not spending a lot of money can bring you just as much happiness, benefit, and everything else as spending a lot of money. And it's true of individuals, and it's true of governments. And I'm going to, for five years, I'm going to run this city that way, and people are going to learn to love it.
0: I promise that. As a quick note, if you're enjoying the Nashville Sounding Board, please leave a review or a rating on the Apple Podcasts app or your app of choice. So you mentioned our budget shortfall. How did the city end up in this financial situation with the thirty-four million dollar revenue shortfall? And in concrete terms, how would you right the ship? Is it just a matter of of cutting spending across the board? How we ended up with that thirty-four million dollar shortfall is a specific question,
1: but it happened over time. I mean, um, we had a reassessment, we had a property tax, you know, property reassessment, and that happens every what four or five years. And a lot of people appealed the reassessment and whoever was making the decisions on the appeals just, it seems like, apparently approved most of those appeals. So we didn't collect the money that we expected to. Naturally, we're growing. So that demands more city services, more education, more police, more everything. Uh, More people require more services. And then we kept giving tax abatements and money to giant corporations to build even more in downtown nashville the, the major cash awards and tax abatements so we spent money that we didn't have to we're not taking in money that we should we're expanding our need for services and we're not keeping up with the revenue and then we shortfall ourselves by being overgenerous, probably with some of the reassessment appeals Uh, And I can understand why people would appeal that. They've had their property taxes raised enough, and it's natural that people are going to balk at paying higher property taxes if they don't have to, and if the appeals board approves it, you can't blame the people for asking. But probably a lot of those should not have been granted, and we're going to have to pay the price, and we're going to have to pay the price by just figuring out more ways to cut spending, because we're not going to raise more taxes. We're going to live with the money that's coming in
0: now, one way or the other. So you said you want to curtail spending. What are some specific areas in the budget that you would cut, that you would look to cut from? Because $34 million, it's a lot of money. If we're not wanting to raise property taxes, how would you make up that in terms of specific cuts? When my favorite president
1: was elected, the first thing that he did, and that's silent cal first thing that he did is sit down with his either as Treasury Secretary or someone, and go through that budget line by line and just find things that we could do without. I'm going to have to do the same thing. I think there are probably some new things in the budget that we might have to look at first. It seems to me there were a number of new offices created by Mayor Barry that probably are not necessary. Uh, I, would pro- I would look at those first and determine which are necessary and which are not. And if some of those are not necessary, we would just line those out of the budget all together and, and roll, back, uh, roll back the spending that way. Uh, I know there's an awful lot of pressure for spending money to make housing affordable and, and to give more to schools. Uh, we're going to demand of the schools that they, too, do what we're going to do, and that is find inexpensive ways to, prove, to improve their outcome without taking in more money. Uh, I realize our city employees have not had pay raises, sometimes not even step increases, for the last several years. And then they were promised a pay raise, and then that had to be taken back because of that. Uh, I can't promise city, and and I'm not going to promise city employees or anyone else in advance until I know the money is in the bank that I'm going to increase their funding, even if it's just to keep up with inflation. We're all going to have to sacrifice some during these. Next five years, in order to just to get back on a very sound financial track, and in that time, we'll let the construction dust settle downtown. We won't take on any more debt. We'll try to arrange to handle the debt that we have now as efficiently as possible. If we can, um, a, lot, a lot of times with bond issues, you can you can just simply take advantage of lower interest rates if they come along by. By retiring some bonds and taking on some others, if there are opportunities to do things like that, we'll do that too. But otherwise, it's just it's just going to have to be asking people to do more with less. We're, we may have rather than not giving people raises that deserve raises. We may have to we may have to do with fewer people. I know many schools think they can't educate students with more than twenty students in a classroom. But you educate a senior class with only 20 students in the classroom. The next year, that that student is a freshman at a college somewhere, and you're paying thirty thousand dollars a year or something for his education, and he's sitting in a class with a hundred or 150 other students, and you believe he's getting a good education. Why otherwise would you be paying thirty or forty thousand dollars for his education? Nobody complains about that because you can teach more than 20 children at a time if they're interested in education. You can do things to get more discipline better discipline in the classroom so that you eliminate some of the some of the interference with education and you can get better results from education there are unique inexpensive free things you can do to make improvements in everything we do as people as a family as a business and as a government That does not cost more money, and we're going to spend five years searching for every single one of those ways. So when we do get a little bit of extra money to spend, then we can resume some of the more fun ways to spend money, but still without raising taxes and, if possible, giving tax breaks to make it even more popular for people to move into Nashville and contribute rather than just being a drain Uh, And asking for a lot of free stuff.
0: So you mentioned the cost of living adjustments that were taken away in Mayor Browley's proposed budget. And in his State of Metro speech, he talked about the need to tighten our belts. You've just talked about the need uh, to sacrifice. One of the groups of employees that would not be receiving a cost of living adjustment are our first responders. Mm -hmm. And the police uh, recently kind of let Mayor Browley have it. When he showed up and, and uh, talked to them uh, specifically about those cost of living raises, is it fair to ask our first responders to sacrifice during the greatest boom time in the history of Nashville? Yes, because we don't have any more
1: money. Now, we can't ask them to sacrifice more than others. But we're also at but record low property tax rate. Our, our property taxes are not too low. If, if they are record low for Nashville, I'm not sure where that figure comes from, but if you compare our property taxes to other counties and our property taxes to other places that people could live, um, we're not giving people too much of a break on property taxes. The only people we're giving too much of a break on property taxes are the people that we give 10, 15, 20 year abatements on paying property taxes in order to entice them to move into the city or move into a different place in the city so that they can bring even more people downtown to spend money, create even more congestion. But the people, the residential, the people who live in Nashville, their property taxes are plenty high enough. And in fact, I believe they're too high and I am not going to raise their property taxes. I will sacrifice in other ways and I will ask others to sacrifice in other ways, but I'm not going to ask anyone including the police officers who are paying property taxes too, to pay more in taxes so we can give someone a raise. I'm I'm sorry that we had to, we didn't have to, I'm sorry we broke that promise. Mayor Briley could have figured out a way to meet that promise and cut spending elsewhere. And if I ever make a promise like that, I guarantee you I will keep that promise. But if I make a promise like that and I end up with A shortfall I will somebody will have to sacrifice that's why you don't make those kinds of promises until the money is in the bank and there are going to be police officers teachers firefighters street workers and everybody else who may decide they just can't make the money living and doing what they're doing in Nashville and they will have to go find A better, higher-paying job. I hope that doesn't happen. I hope we can get back on track quick enough that we can make everybody happy without bringing in more revenue. But we are going to find ways to do without artificially increasing our revenue, and we're going to stop giving away money um, to people who don't need it to do things that don't have to be done and sometimes shouldn't be done and don't work the way that they're promised to work.
0: One more question about uh, financial management before we go back to I have a couple more questions about the police. Sure. What do you think about the decision to sell multiple metro properties to cover recurring expenses in the midst of this revenue shortfall? Before you compare the city's budget to a personal budget in terms of debt, um, selling assets to pay for recurring expenses, so, is that something that you would recommend? Well, it won't work. But selling assets may be necessary, but not to pay
1: recurring expenses because once you've sold the asset and the expense keeps recurring years after year after year, (laughs) you run out of money. So you've got the same problem down the road. I guess they're banking
0: on the growth of a property tax base for next year and in in future years. I wanted to get your take on that decision. I'm not saying I wouldn't sell the property. I'm saying I would not
1: sell it to try to solve a permanent budget shortfall. Now, selling property may make sense if you don't need the property and it costs money to maintain that property. You get one-time spending, and then you get permanent savings. And if you can do that and make a little bit of a contribution to that annual need by selling property you don't need, and if you can then get property tax revenue from that property, we shouldn't have any property we don't need, period. It doesn't make any sense to own and maintain city property that you can't make good use of. It doesn't make good financial sense, and frankly, it takes up necessary space that others could be using better and contributing more than we can. So I'm not against selling city property. I think it's a Band-Aid approach
0: to trying to solve permanent budget problems, though. So moving back to police, you've used the line that you're going to back the police, and I wanted to find out what that means to you. It means when the police are right, I'm going to be
1: willing to say the police are right. And there have been mayors who have mayors and maybe even a police chief who've not been willing to say that. If a police is involved in a shooting and there's a victim and the police officer was the shooter and he's investigated internally by the police, investigated by the TBI, investigated by the Justice Department, investigated by the state's attorney and all four of those agencies Say, although this was an extremely unfortunate death that should not have occurred, this officer followed the rules. He followed the law. He did not violate the law. And he did not violate the police procedures in the way this happened. So he is innocent. Are we talking specifically about the Jock Clemens shooting? I'm not talking specifically about any shooting. I think there have been a number of shootings in which that same – pattern occurred and the community won't accept it, and because the community won't accept it, either the mayor or the police chief, and I'm not talking just about this mayor and this police chief, may not back the police officer and the police department. And that's just as wrong as refusing to discipline or prosecute a police officer when he did violate the law. We do have to have very high expectations of our police. We have to expect them to to act in an even higher professional manner than the citizens do because we do arm them and give them the authority to enforce our laws. And so there are times that they must use forceful, sometimes even violent means. So when they do that, they have to be absolutely in the right And when they're not in the right, they have to suffer the consequences. But when they are, when they are in the right and everybody who has a responsibility for determining whether they are or not, then that has got to be acceptable. And if the community won't accept it, the mayor has to, in that case, stand strong in defense of the police department and the police officer.
0: I take it you don't support the push uh, to institute a community oversight board I do for not. the police. I do not, and I'm going to get an opportunity this evening
1: at the to NOAA tell forum. Noah forum. exactly that, and they're probably not going to like what I have to say about that. But that's another thing a mayor has to be willing to do: go to places and speak to people where you know the message is not going to be taken well, but we're willing to get it, and do it anyway, to begin the conversation. To try to to get more voices, more opinions, more stakeholders in on that decision, too. It's not just the police and and the community. And by community, we're talking mainly here now about the African-American community. That seems to be where most of the friction is between the police department and the African-American community. They are not the only stakeholders. We're all stakeholders in this. This diminishes the ability for the police to do their job effectively and to combat and prevent and control crime in this city. We are all affected by that. We're affected by the crime, we're affected by the cost, we're affected by the trauma. We're all stakeholders in this and we all have to talk about it together and including those who disagree vehemently about this. And I know that there are those who believe the whole justice system is prejudiced against them and lined up against them. I don't believe that's true. But because they believe it's true, we have to sit down and have very long, difficult conversations between the police and the community and other stakeholders and reach a common understanding so we can lower the temperature and start to inform instead of incite and lower the temperature, and lower the tension, and have a better a better opportunity to reduce crime and help everybody in the process.
0: Would body cameras for police officers be one opportunity to kind of come to a bipartisan agreement? I don't think so. I think body cameras is yet another extremely
1: high expense that's ineffective for the job that it claims to be doing, and that is monitor. Uh, you know, help fight crime and monitor police activity at the same time, as if that just automatically happens when the officer is wearing a body cam. Let me give you an example. Now, is that body cam on all the time, or does the officer decide to turn it on at some point? Is the video that he takes, whenever he takes it, do we store it forever? And if so, how expensive is that going to be? Who gets to access it and for what reasons? I believe the body cameras are going to interfere with many police officers' job. They're going, to, they're going to be worried more about what video they're taking or whether they should turn it on and off. And they are not going to be able to think as clearly and focus as clearly on the job they're supposed to be doing. And then we have the expense of the, the cameras, not just the equipment but the storage. The storage is an expense that I don't think most have a very good idea yet of how much that is. Then you have all of these questions about access and liability and, and legalities of it, I think we're going to create a lot more tension and financial problems with body cameras than we're going to solve. I, I, they may, from time to time, serve a, a valid purpose, but I think those times are going to be too few to be able to justify the expense and the and the problems that they create.
0: It's certainly be expensive, both on the capital side and also the recurring data storage side. But we seem to have figured it out for dash cameras, right? I mean, we've all seen cops. They've had the dash cameras for probably 20 years or more. How is that so aren't, different? Aren't the, because I think the dash cameras are basically
1: on all the time. I may be wrong about this, but they only record what you they choose to record. In other words, there's not a lot of storage with the dash cameras. Um, The body cameras, I don't think they would be on all the time because I think the battery would wear out if they are. The the dash cams are are hooked up to the police car batteries. You don't have a battery issue. You're going to have a significant battery issue with police cams if you operate them too much. So there's going to be a lot of on and off with that body camera. And it's going to have to be the police officer who decides whether to turn it on or whether to turn it off. That's going to be distracting. It's going to be more distracting for some than it is for others. But for some, it's going to be very distracting. It could create a safety problem for both them and for crime victims and maybe even for the suspect himself or herself.
0: So I have one more question about the police. Sure. Um, You recently got into some hot water when you, I believe, jumped in and and answered a question about racial profiling Mm -hmm. at at a candidate's forum that I believe happened at an HBCU it was a largely African-American audience mm-hmm. and you were asked it, about racial profiling and said that you weren't opposed to it. And so I kind of wanted to yeah. to ask you first, do you think the Metro Nashville police department is already engaging in some level of racial profiling? No,
1: there's, there's no such thing as racial profiling, which was trying what I was trying to get at. And that doesn't mean there's no such thing as what's happening that people are calling racial profiling. But that's you.
0: Didn't you use like the criminal
1: minds analogy? Yes. But let me let me back up. What I what I said was and this was a question to Carol Swain and then I just followed up on her answer. Profiling is a necessary police tool. And sometimes race is one element that's necessary in profiling real profiling. What they're referring to as racial profiling is just good old-fashioned prejudice. Prejudice and racial profiling and profiling are the opposite things. Profiling is something you do in order to try to narrow the field of suspects down to a more manageable field of suspects. Stopping young black men either on the street or in their cars primarily because they're black is not racial profiling it's just prejudice profiling is legitimate it is a it is a science it is an imperfect science certainly but it's a science and it's a necessary science and there are in real cases of profiling race is often one of the many characteristics that is used to try to describe the person they think they're looking for but when police officers are patrolling an area and they just and they are stopping young black men who are jogging down the street, like they have Senator Tim Scott apparently several times, or they stop black drivers more than they do white drivers. And especially if it's in a predominantly black area, that's not profiling. It's the opposite of profiling, just stopping every black person or stopping people because they're black. To call that profiling does damage to the legitimate police science of profiling. What we ought to be doing is say, Are you, do you believe in police officers using racial prejudice in their duties? And the answer, of course, is no. And that was what the real question was. It was just framed. What do you think about racial profiling? Well, again, in my opinion, there is no such thing as racial profiling. Racial profiling is an oxymoron. What people think of as racial profiling is to... Is to profiling what what terrorists beheading someone is to surgery. I mean, yeah, you used a knife and you cut off a body part. That doesn't make it surgery. Yes, you used race and you arrested somebody. That doesn't make it profiling. It makes it bad police work and prejudice. And if that's happening, if that's happening, it needs to stop. And we will find a way to stop it. But I, I, we need to we need to drop these kinds of loaded terms that people use to automatically get, you know, it doesn't define anything. It doesn't inform. It incites. And so when anyone uses, under any circumstance, terminology that I believe is designed to incite rather than inform, I'm going to argue with the terminology, and if I have enough time, I think I can explain it and explain to people, no, I'm not a racist. No, I don't believe in racial prejudice. That is, but racial profiling is a completely different thing. It's something that doesn't exist and the word, the phrase, shouldn't exist. Racial prejudice does exist, and it exists in the police department. I don't think nearly to the extent the black community believes it does, but it exists in our society. So, of course, it's going to exist everywhere in our society. But it's getting less and less all the time. And if we don't acknowledge that and we don't work toward making it less and less and less all the time, we're not going to make progress. And and on that issue and all others, I'm going to make progress. And I may I may overtalk it sometimes. I may talk it to death sometimes. But
0: we're going to be understood at the end of the day. So you're chalking that up to just sort of a semantic misunderstanding and that if – the questioner and the audience understood and used racial prejudice instead of racial profiling. Pre, then you would be pre, on the same sure, page. Sure, we prejudge things all the time. I'll
1: bet you prejudge things. I'll bet there are some things when you you just you, you have a prejudgment without having fully investigated that. Some prejudice makes sense, but racial prejudice never makes sense. No prejudice based on race, nationality, ethnicity, religion, or anything else makes sense. To prejudge a person because of the color of their skin, their race, their ethnicity, their religion, or anything else is just – it's ridiculous. It's divisive. It's ridiculous. And to – if there is any of that going on in the police department or anywhere in the city of Nashville – the person that is guilty of that is going to have to go find another place to work. I don't care whether they're a police officer, a teacher, or anything else. We can't tolerate, we can't tolerate ignorant prejudice interfering with getting jobs done that need to be done to protect our citizens and well, serve
0: our citizens. Well, see, that answer would have gone over remarkably. Well, well, but that answer it wasn't that hard. That would have been very, very popular. It might have been.
1: And, and if I had two or three days to think of every 30-second answer that might fit exactly the best, maybe I wouldn't get under people's skin from time to time. But if you don't – if, you if you're so careful with your words, if you don't just speak from your heart and your mind in the way you normally speak, then people don't really know who you are. And if they misjudge who you are, if they're prejudiced against me because I didn't have time to fully answer that question, well, then shame on them for being prejudiced against me because that's just as as ignorant of prejudice as racial prejudice is. And ignorant prejudice is not going to be tolerated in the Bristol administration, period.
0: Well, in their defense, maybe not just as ignorant because they were basing their opinion of you on words that you said, but fair enough, it it should be good to. If, but remember people the words that I said. The out. word that I said are that profiling
1: is necessary, and sometimes race is one legitimate aspect of profiling. That does not endorse racial profiling. But immediately, the newspaper headline and others said Bristol endorses racial profiling. Nothing could be further from the truth. I was interrupted by audience feedback for about 15 seconds so I didn't get to completely answer the question and had to respond to the feedback instead. And I will repeat what I told them that night too. I'm not afraid to say things that offend you if it's necessary to protect your family. Now, if saying something that offends you says, well, I'm never going to talk with him again, that's, to me, that is just as wrong because you're judging, you're judging my heart based on something that you thought I said that I didn't even say. and Fair that's
0: enough. Yeah, I mean, I hope people listen to this and hear you out in I a hope, linked discussion. Which I hope they do too. What we're going for. Thank forward. you for asking. So moving along to transit, you mentioned that's a big issue in terms of why you decided to run. I guess shortly before the election, every candidate except for Briley was against the transit referendum. And uh, you mentioned the one candidate who switched positions was Erica Gilmore. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about why you opposed the transit plan and then, more at length, what your solution would be? I opposed it because it's a super expensive plan that doesn't
1: solve the problem, which is congestion. They initially advertised it as a solution to congestion. They changed their story along the way when people learned that it will do nothing, zero, to solve any congestion problems where the congestion is occurring. So we're going to borrow and spend another 10 or more billion dollars for something that's supposed to solve a problem that everybody now understands, well, not going to solve that problem. We're going to raise four taxes as a result. So what the heck was that? It was another development plan where a whole bunch of tax money and private money would go into further developing the central part of our city, creating even more congestion probably, and then giving a few people, but very few people, an opportunity to have another choice to get a little bit of their way to work, you know, five, six miles maximum of whatever their drive to work is or how they get to work. And then they've got to figure out a different way to get to the train and then figure a different way to get from the train to wherever their work actually is. So not going to be very helpful even to those people probably. Uh, so better solution. Fortunately for Nashville and for every other city in the United States, the solution doesn't have to come from them, and very little of the money has to come from them. The solution is going to come, and it's going to remove a lot more congestion than anything any city, state, or country can do, and that is this rapidly approaching multi-trillion dollar uh, autonomous vehicle industry that's going to pair with ride-sharing industries that will also crop up anew. And those two industries together are going to take about 25% of all of the cars off of the road and do more to relieve congestion. I don't think we need to spend any more construction money at this time for that purpose. We need to get ready for and cooperate with that. And then we need to just improve our bus service. We need to have a more user-friendly bus service, and the routes probably need some improvement. We're going to have to do some... some smart street technology planning to prepare to speak with these autonomous vehicles once they hit the roads and start moving people around but that's about it won't require very much spending and we can we can relieve a lot more of what really is is uh, upsetting people with a little bit of patience, we're we're not going to solve these congestion problems overnight, nor is any other city. And to try to promise to do that is just setting yourself up for yet another broken promise.
0: So if you want to expand the bus system, that will take some money, both in terms of operating costs and also the upfront uh, capital costs. And recognizing that we're already in a revenue shortfall and so that you'll be searching for budget cuts to make up that revenue shortfall where would the money come from to fund the bus improvements? And would you ever be open to a slight increase in sales tax, a quarter cent or a half cent instead of the full cent proposed uh, as part of the Let's Move Nashville plan? I think you jumped to a conclusion there that maybe
1: might be false, and that is you have to expand the bus service system in order to improve it, do we really have to expand the bus system in order to improve it? When well, I, I took the, the buses are. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'm not going to say most of the buses are mostly empty, but there's an awful lot of space, unused space on the buses we have now. It seems to me that perhaps maybe buying a lot more buses, spending a lot more money on either infrastructure capital cost might be wasted money. I think there's probably a better way to to improve the bus system without expanding it, to improve the routes without expanding it, to improve the rider experience without capital costs, without additional capital costs. And we have an operation budget for the transit. We will continue to have an operation budget. We just find better ways to spend the money that we're spending in order to make this a better experience that serves the the customer better. I know that's easy to say, but How's it been working out for us with all of the additional spending that we've had over the years and the tax increases that we have had over the years? Has that, had that helped much? How's, is all of this growth paying for itself? Something is not working right now, and there's too much, there's too much pressure on our budget, and we've got to relieve that pressure. And we're going to have to find unique ways that
0: people haven't thought of yet in order to relieve it. That's all the questions that I have. I want to give you a chance to talk about anything that I might have missed and kind of close us out with a final pitch as to why voters should vote for, for Ralph Bristol for mayor. They should vote for me for mayor because whether we like it or not, we don't have more money to spend. We're
1: not going to have more money to spend. Mayors can promise to ask for tax increases and, and spend it. And, and if all he has to go through is a city council, you might get it. Uh, but it won't work. More money has not solved the problems with education. We're spending about $10,000 a year for students in, in Nashville, Tennessee, about the same thing California is spending. They have a higher cost of living than we do, about the same thing 20 other states are spending. <clears throat> so too little money is not the problem there. Uh, Too little money is rarely the problem with anything that's not working correctly, and for five years, we're going to stop spending money and collecting more money, and we're going to search for every single way there is to do things better, more efficiently, without taxing and spending more. And I just want people to know, A, I've got a good heart, I've got an open mind, and if you've got a good heart and open mind, and you really are committed to allowing every stakeholder have as much input into solving that problem as you can. Then I know we can get this job done. We're going to like Nashville even better then than we do now. the o- The only other thing I would say, and I'll close with this, I will make one promise. If I'm elected mayor, I have been so impressed with one of the other candidates, Jeff Carr, that if I'm elected mayor, one of the first things I'm going to do is is offer him a job. And I don't even know. And and I I'm I'm sorry if that sounds. Gratuitous or anything else, but I am so impressed with with his heart that I that he's revealed on the campaign trail with his work for No Tax for Tracks. There's got to be a place um, for him in anybody's administration, uh, and there will be
0: in my administration. Well, thanks again for coming on the podcast. I really enjoyed this this, uh, discussion. It's been a lot of fun to sit across the uh, table from a 40-year broadcaster. So thanks again. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.